Welcome to Real Life Podcast Conversations from Life Four Square Church. We invite you to dive deeper into the more difficult topics of faith. Have you tried asking some of the bigger questions or struggled to find understanding? We may not have all the answers, but we are committed to the ongoing conversations as we search God's Word together. We are Mark and Lynn Cooper. We are local pastors here in Decatur. This show is really our attempt to go a little deeper, to answer some questions in greater depth than we would have opportunity during a message or a sermon. Uh, We look forward to the dialogue and the conversations that will certainly be generated. We look forward to your questions uh, and maybe doing our best to answer them. Uh, This podcast will cover many biblical topics, some of which will be fun, some serious, and some will pique your interest, or so we hope. Here we are, and we are in week three. We have been in the topic of end times, and today we're going to start our topic off with rumors. Everybody loves a good rumor. Absolutely. And before we do, if you hear any owls in the background, coyotes in the background, or um, crickets or bugs, we are actually outdoors. We're sitting in the Smoky Mountains on the front of a cabin, just enjoying some family time. And so um, we're glad to be with you. A little bit of a change in scenery, but let's go ahead and move forward with the topics that we have today. That's right. We're going to start today in the book of Second Thessalonians. And really to preface where we are in the book at this time is there's a rumor that had been circulating. This rumor was that Christ had already come. And this rumor caused so much confusion, so much disruption. And, and I think it's so fitting that we start here today because I think we've all probably heard lots of rumors about what's happening right now in the world, in the church, in this whole um, 2020 has been a year full of speculation, conspiracy. How many, I, I, You live under a rock if you've not heard a good conspiracy theory at this point in 2020. Yeah. So much of it. So just before Lynn begins to read a little bit of that chapter in Second Thessalonians, um, I want to preface it with an understanding that this is not a letter to the world. This is obviously a letter to a, a specific church, and it is from a specific church leader addressing li- lies, gossip, and turmoil within them. It's it's not coming from outside. Um, they're not watching the news and and deriving conspiracy theories from that. They're they're originating those from within them. It's, it's something that's happening within their own body, and it's being propagated and fed within their own body. In this year, 2020, we've had more meetings with families and individuals and, and people really in a place of confusion because they've heard so much. They've, they've heard this. They've heard that. And so we cannot emphasize enough, if you are not a Bible reader, you need to become a Bible reader to know God's truth, to know how it can be the measuring stick 
and and standard by which you hear these things. And so we're going to pick up in Second Thessalonians because this is going to sound so familiar. And I love it when we're reading a passage, we've maybe read it over, you know, 50 times in our life, but right now it sounds familiar. And yeah. it sounds familiar um, because... Wow, I've experienced this. And so I'm going to start in chapter two. And it says, let us clarify some things. Don't you love that when God starts by saying, I want to clarify this for you? Great conversations start that way, don't they? Hey, uh, I want to set some things straight. (laughs) Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. See, the rumor at this time was that Christ had come. And they were frightened. They they thought they'd missed it, right? They woke up one morning and they they'd heard a rumor and they thought we have missed the rapture. We we have been rejected by the Lord or left behind because of sin or because of this or because we're not holy enough. Whatever they they were, and and listen, I bet I didn't that happen in Bible college. I did. My friend and I shout out to Steve Robbins. Woke up. And uh, it turns out we didn't have school that day or something, but we went up and thought, um, man, no one's here. We have, we are the only two in Bible college that have missed the rapture. Thank God. I think it was just Saturday and we were idiots, but um, thank God it was uh, quickly resolved. But um, this is where they're at. Yeah. Paul says this. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. So what Paul's saying is, listen, this isn't the world telling you. Listen, this isn't CNN or Fox News or ABC telling you this is a rumor or this has happened. We've had this revelation. No, these are are people that you have quite possibly been in fellowship and been in the same church gathering, small group. He's saying, listen, be careful. Be careful. Don't be so easily confused or shaken simply because someone that you respect or admire, you've quite possibly looked up to in your spiritual journey. Or been led by. Again, let's go back to the point of we must know our word we must know god's truth so that when we hear these things we can measure them and so i want to touch a little bit down in chapter two we come to this place and this is where we're connecting it with the end times and he begins to tell them of what to expect as time goes on and he begins to talk about how the enemy how satan will begin to deceive us He will use every kind of evil deception, it says, to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe those lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. And this is a a place where we have to recognize that God's truth is the only truth that we can stand on because it's infallible. And it is what we have to measure in these times of confusion. The, this scripture, it really points out something important that we, 
we see echoed throughout the book of Revelation. Um, we see pictures like God separating the sheep from the goats, and we see things like this. The, the, the real communication that Lynn is talking about here, what's being driven home is this. There's, there is no proxy Christianity. We cannot, we cannot live the life that we're called to live and conclude to the end and receive the gift that we're wanting to get through someone else. We have to have that personal understanding ourselves, that personal relationship ourselves. Absolutely. We have to understand that that regular church attendance won't do when it comes to measuring God's truth with what the world is bringing as a place of confusion. And we have to become Bible readers. We have to know his word. And we aren't getting enough word if the only word we're getting is on a Sunday morning at a small group. These little doses, there has to be a hunger for God's word. Isn't that crazy why it is difficult to be a Bible reader? The enemy knows in fact, he is betting that he knows God's word better than you do. So he can use it in this very way to bring deception. And that brings us to to First John, because we know that there will be an antichrist. But I want to bring about this place where we can see that the spirit of antichrist is alive and well today. In fact, the spirit of antichrist has been alive and well for some time. Yeah, I would say, and you know, I know that there's different thoughts on that spirit of Antichrist and what that means. But so I disclaimer, would... we're going to a place of theology that is um, left to interpretation. But I, I believe that from the pronunciation of Christ as the plan of God, the Antichrist has been at work. The spirit of Antichrist has been at work. And so when do you see that pronunciation of Christ? Well, you see it in the garden when God is dealing with the three that have sinned. He's dealing with Adam and Eve and the serpent. And he says, you will have an offspring and and your seed and her seed and your seed will, will bruise or... Um, bruise his side and he will crush your head, bruise his foot and he will crush your head. This picture is a picture. It's the first messianic prophecy. And so from that point, we see at work in the world, the spirit of antichrist, the very next reference to it is literally the, the, the words of Cain. When he says, am I my brother's keeper? This is antichrist because what does Christ say? You are your brother's keeper. Christ says, no greater love has anyone than to lay down our life for a friend. Jesus says, love people at your own cost. Allow it to cost you. Love them in preference to yourself. And Cain echoes the spirit. And the spirit says, I love me. I love me more than I love anything else. Right. And so we pick up here at 1 John chapter 4 and And he begins to say, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they live, if they have the spirit of God. 
if a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body and that person has the spirit of God. Remember, we talked about some essential doctrine. These are the points that that you begin to pick up on in the scripture. They're essential to being a Christ follower. They are essential to, to what he's speaking to here. And so we can recognize that either the spirit that motivates you is one that is righteous and of God, or it is not, which will only be a spirit that is unrighteous and ungodly. And so he goes on to say, but if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. Mm. So for him to say in this time, in this book, the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. And this isn't far stretched. This is the the spirit of the enemy working against what Christ is is doing in us and through us, through his Holy Spirit here and now, working against that. In fact, many have probably heard this called the um, spirit of the anti-revival today. That might be what you have heard it. Yeah. And and so we're gonna allow that to take us to a place in Revelation. Yeah, and it's not a it's not a huge jump. It, it, but if you're unfamiliar with it, I want you to track the first several chapters of Revelation, and we've talked about this a little bit in some of our past um, podcasts, but the first several chapters really deal with the state of the church and Christ speaking life to the church. Now, he does that, some through encouragement, primarily through correction. Then you get into chapters 4 and 5 and 6, and you start to see John is having a vision of heaven, and he's having things revealed to him in time. Now, not everything is in sequence, but it largely flows in sequence, okay? So you have seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls, and you have these different judgments— Really, what you're seeing is you're seeing events on earth start to carry out, and you're seeing the the judgment of God also parallel those events. Now, what it brings us to in conversation today is really in chapter 6, where you start to see Jesus, the Lamb, and he's breaking the first of the seals, right? You have trumpets, seals, and bowls. And he's beginning to break the first of these seals. And in chapter 6, it does something very familiar. Many of us will have heard of this and seen some of this. It says, As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second. Okay, so he, he's continuing this way. And, it, and through chapter six, it, it walks that path of revealing to you four horsemen and four horses that carry different powers. Now, listen, some, I, I believe in error, but some have come to the conclusion that this person, remember, the lamb is breaking the seals. The lamb is Jesus. And so the seven seals on the scroll, like seven wax seals on the scroll, and no one's able to break them except for the lamb. 
But then the first rider is a rider on a white horse. Sounds like Jesus. So we, we've discussed in prior as well that one of the revelations of this being the end times for us was the coldness of heart of the believer. Yeah. However, in, in technical terms, the reality is that there is a word that is used more than any other in speaking to end times, and it is deception. You talked about that this weekend in your message, how we read about the use of deception more than any other, more than wars, more than famine, more than all this other natural catastrophe. We read about deception, and that's what it's speaking to with this first horse, this white horse, and It says, I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head and he rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Yeah. So what you're seeing and that that word deception, like Lynn spoke about, is planeo. It's the Greek word planeo. It's where we get our word planets from. And it means to wander, to float, to not be tied to a point, right, to a, uh, a solid point. The, the issue here is this. Some have believed that this first writer is the Antichrist. Some believe that. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying I don't necessarily see it. What I see is that these four horsemen are judgments of God poured out on a world that has largely rejected the Lord. Correct. And the reason that this is a white horse and it looks upon a place of victory, that is the deception. So whether it is the Antichrist, whether it is a place of judgment, that's yours to decide. And and really, until we're face-to-face with Jesus, we won't know all of these things in any certainty. And so the point is that white horse represents deception. Because who would think, oh, here, here it is. Here's even the lamb. Here's this is the victory, the white horse. You have to admit that this is reminiscent of Christ. Christ comes riding a white horse, comes with a crown, and it. And so, whether it's an expression of God's judgment that is intended just to simply represent warfare and victory, is fine. That's fine if that's way. Or it's possible that it is. Let's connect that white horse. With the possibility of the confusion that we've already experienced, the deception, the the false prophecies, the revelations, those that have come with with the intent to reveal Christ, but it's really revealed deception. Now, let me tell you, this will happen. There's a, there's a word that we often hear and we see practicing within our own country. This is a podcast that fit goes around the world great, but it's primarily, I'm assuming, in our local region and with people we know, but at least in our country. And so this this nationalistic idea ties, it connects to this. The part of the deceit is that God is wanting something to happen within my country and within my world that satiates my normality. It keeps me comfortable. It sustains my life as I want it. And that is deceit, because this is the pouring out of God's judgment on the world. The white horse represents a a type of victory, but in in all actuality, it is not victory as we would take it. No, this is the beginning of judgment on the world. Exactly. It's it's the beginning of the end or the end of the But how many would see a white horse and assume, here we go. Thank you, Lord. You you are ushering in and you are triumphant and your victory reigns. And it is a place of deception. The second horse, let's, let's get moving. Then another horse appeared, a red one. 
Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. Now, this to me is a is a place that we could all to me so visible today. There's a lack of peace at every turn and fear has seated itself in so many ways. You know, churches have been accused of operating in fear that might, you know, use some sort of standard of protection when it comes to sickness. You know, and and again, I, I would suggest this. I would say that it is fear, the projection of fear that we even accuse others that have come to this place that fear is what has actually brought division among the body of Christ. And it's the fear of my world might change. My actual life may never be the same again. And that fear has really allowed us to grab hold of some things that that maybe aren't biblical or maybe aren't what we should focus on in this very moment. Um, a huge, that's, that's a huge statement. Take a second. If you're listening to this, just pause the podcast and ask the Lord that question. Lord, am I, am I struggling with that idea that my life is changing? My circumstances are changing maybe less favorably. And am I okay with that? Am I, do I trust you? Um, that's important. Now listen to this, this, the second rider is a rider on a red horse, and it says that he takes peace from the world. We often asso- associate this with warfare. Well, it's going to be it's going to be mass warfare throughout the world. This is more reminiscent of chaos. This is not. It's the, what's he taking away? He's taking away peace, and the and the void of peace is chaos. Mm-hmm. It's it's not necessarily violence only. But it's chaotic. How do you feel when you don't have peace? You feel out of control. You feel, you feel anxious. You feel worried in every way. This is chaos. The world will be thrown into chaos, complete and utter chaos. Every place safe becomes unsafe. Every stronghold becomes a weakness. Everything. I mean, it's just absolute chaos. Now, the third writer. When, I, when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay, and don't waste the olive oil and wine. This speaks to our economy. This speaks to a complete imbalance of what it would cost just to survive a whole day's work just to buy some bread. We can't even fathom that right now, but we only see eyes through America. Globally, this is happening. This is already functioning in the globe. And so we can't just look at this is a statement that may not be favorable, but we can't just read the Bible as Americans. We have to have some global perspective. Better yet, 
a kingdom perspective and mindset when we read God's word that can apply to my life as an American, which can change my motives and and even the attitudes of my heart that I find myself in. Yeah. So listen, this speaks of shortage. It speaks of famine. It speaks, you know, famine isn't always just simply because stuff doesn't grow. Sometimes famine is economic. Sometimes famine has to do with trade and it has to do with supply rather than produce. Now, what you see here is don't touch or don't harm. It says, and don't waste, but don't harm the olive oil, oil, and wine. Wine, you know, these are, these are luxuries, olive oil and wine. So what it's saying is don't harm the luxuries, but harm the things that sustain life. Correct. The The things that we use day to day. Yes, every day. So, so this is plague, man, or not, or not plague, but famine. It's it's want, it's need, it's desperation. Mm-hmm. You see in here that your money isn't worth anything. Right. I mean, if it takes me a day's worth of work to buy a loaf of bread, then I'm not getting very far. My money's not going very far. The next says, when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, come. I look up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. Those two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword in famine and disease in wild animals. So this is a, this is a place to say... Where are we at? Okay. Absolutely. Now I want you to pay special attention to this. This rider is is death. He's on a pale horse. Now, I want you to get this. He was get, these two were given authority, death and the grave, over one fourth of the earth to kill with the sword. Have we seen someone already, a rider of a horse that deals with a sword? Yes, we have. Mm-hmm. We saw that in the red horse, correct? Um. And famine, have we seen famine? Mm -hmm. Yes, and with famine comes disease. And so this rider, the pale horse, is often considered to be disease. But there's something else here, and wild animals, Mm -hmm. wild animals. And so this wild animals, when we're talking about death, what we're talking about um, is death through plague or disease and or through incredible... What uh, animal? It's, it's it's mosquito. I mean, think about the way disease travels. Think about wild animals. In our minds, we often think, well, you know, our lions going to jump out and start attacking. Our bears going to move out of the woods and go into the cities. It's possible. Hey, we are in the middle of Pigeon Forge, and, and, and you see bears regularly now. <laughs> it's happened in history before. But my point is, mosquitoes are animals. Fleas are animals. These, these kind of things are have been known to spread disease on a global scale and still do. Mosquitoes still account for many, many deaths in the world. Okay, so this is what we're looking at now. Connect this for us in the book of Ezekiel. I want to I wanna take you there, and I want to show you something that's pretty cool. If, if we go to Ezekiel chapter 14, again, I have told people, as I was told uh, and believe— that when you read through the book of Revelation, it is extremely helpful to read through. You know, I was told, Mark, never read the book of Revelation alone. Read it 
while you're reading the book of Daniel, while you're reading the book of Ezekiel and the Mm -hmm. book of Jeremiah, read them together. They accompany each other. And so what you see here is in chapter 14, you see God do something he does often through scripture. This is, it occurs frequently in the Proverbs. Now, he begins with this weird statement. It's first a pronunciation of judgment on Israel and on the nation of Israel. And, and it, it lists all the accusations against them. But then God does something very weird, something very interesting. He says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful, and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it and kill its people and their animals, even if these three men, this is what I want you to hear, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, he goes through that four times. Every area... Of, of death that we just recounted within Revelation, the four horsemen, he covers it. And as you go down to the end of Ezekiel, for this is what the Sovereign Lord says, how much worse will it be when I send against Jerusalem my four dreadful judgments, sword, famine, wild beast, and plague, to kill its men and their animals? Yet there will be some survivors, sons and daughters who will be brought out of it. Okay, so we began this conversation by talking about deceit. I want to ask a question that I'll answer or that Lynn and I will answer for you, but you can ask this question as you're listening. What do Job, Daniel, and Noah have in common? (laughs) Why are those three people recounted on several occasions through Mm -hmm. chapter 14 as being people who, even if they were included in that country that was being judged by God, they could only save themselves. They couldn't even save their children. Why of those three people did God choose? Why, why did he choose them of all the righteous people, of all the good people, of all the godly people in history? Why did God choose Daniel, Job, and Noah? Right. It's an interesting place here because who would you choose? I mean, if I was going to speak or reference to, we see often Abraham, Moses, um, we see, we read about men and women of great faith in Hebrews, and yet these three have a, a common denominator here that we need to pick up on. So I want you to think about Job and his friends. What did they say to him? Lynn, what did mm-hmm. Job's friends say to him when he Forsake was Forsake your sick? God. What yeah. is wrong with you? Just, just curse it and be done. Yeah. They gave him poor advice. Even God says, your friends have given you very poor advice. Right. right? So there was, there was opportunity for deceit there. And as a matter of fact, there was judgment against him because he was unwilling to yield to that deceit. Mm-hmm. Right? They called him prideful. Mm-hmm. His wife said, why are you so stubborn? Why are you so prideful? You should just curse God and end it. Okay, Daniel. Daniel is the same way amongst many people is accused, he is um, ridiculed, he is a person who is given many opportunities. Remember Belshazzar says, any man who can tell me what's written on that wall, I'll give a third of my kingdom to and gold chains around his neck. Keep in mind, this is where we get this phrase, the writing on the wall, right? This is where we see so much begin to take place in regards to, to Daniel's life. We read Hind's story this hero 
Sure, but at the time... But at the time, that is not how he was received by his contemporaries. Not until later in life. Very end of his life. He was not... He he was not... He would not have looked at his life outside the context of serving the Lord and thought, man, what a success I've been. He he would have had to struggle to see his life in the same light we do. Mm -hmm. We see him as a hero of the faith. I mean, one of the greatest men in the Bible. This other character we have is Noah. So Noah's asked to do something by the Lord. He is prepared for a season, which he's in, uh, asked to prepare for something that had never happened before or happened since, had no context for really what a global flood looked like. Mm-hmm. Many say at this time, it wasn't even raining on the earth. Mm-hmm. The earth was watered by dew. It was watered in a different way than rain. And the word tells us that he was ridiculed for it, that he had many opportunities to question his faith, question his understanding. All three of these men sought clarity from God. All three of these men sought the Lord and the word of the Lord over whatever they heard elsewhere, over what they saw elsewhere, over the rumors of their time. Absolutely. They sought clarity from the Lord. Now, And Daniel, they were obedient in that clarity, no matter what those around him them said. Yes. That is huge. Absolutely. One of these men is pre-Diluvian and post-Diluvian. Noah was pre-flood, pre-law, pre-written word of God. Job was likely patriarchal or pre-patriarchal, so he was maybe even living before Abraham, pre-law. So it's not that they searched scriptures for understanding, but they sought the word of the Lord. They obviously, through scripture, we understand that they had very close relationships with God and were able to to, to converse with him. I mean, to get the instruction alone to build an ark of that size, yeah, sure. without it being your trade, what you were accustomed to doing, no one had seen anything of that size. Yeah. And just imagine going to find the animals, male and female. I yeah. wouldn't even know where to begin with most. Well, I, I mean, let's be real. It's likely that God brought many to him. The, the, the thing to remember here, especially as we've come full circle to what we began with, is that these were men that clearly sought from the Lord clarity and understanding. Daniel, we know, looks to Scripture in Jeremiah and finds the years proclaimed for um, uh, to, be, to be sent out into exile. And so he's a man who is digging through Scripture the other two were men that, through personal relationship with the Lord, sought for that clarity. As we would hear and receive warning from the Lord that we live in a time, and let me tell you, do not kid yourself, you live in a time where the coldness of the heart is is everyday life. It's what we see. We see people being deceived all over the place in the church. And so it's on us, it's our responsibility to be like these three, to be people who are willing to seek out that clarity, to understand the times we live in and what the Lord is doing. Right? We might not like it all. I guarantee Job didn't like it all. I guarantee you that Daniel didn't like it all. He was living in exile. His life was not his own. And I promise you Noah did not like it all. He saw the world perish. Okay, so so now as we conclude and we wrap this up, okay, what what do we do with this information? Well, suppose what what is this for? 
am I trying to put a puzzle together? Am I trying to figure something out? Well, let's go back to Thessalonians and, and the scripture tells us the reason, the, the purpose for this conversation. He says, for, for you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. And we don't belong to the darkness at night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert. Be clear-headed. Night is time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. Listen, he gave us this. Not so, listen, he doesn't need our help with the mystery. He needs us to be obedient and to remember we have a purpose in it. He gives us enough information so that we can recognize the times we're in. Remember that our job is to seek and save the lost. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our neighbor and across the globe. But he tells us so that we're not fooled. We, we don't have to worry. I love what he says. For your children will be children of the light. Let me tell you over and over what we have heard as a place of fear in believers is what kind of world are we leaving our children? And let me tell you, that is the wrong question. Mm-hmm. The right question is, what is the condition of your children that you will leave this world? Our purpose is to make disciples and let's connect the making disciples to the very instruction we see in Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply. That doesn't just speak to having children and extending your family. But when we have children as believers and we extend our family in that way, we are creating disciples. We also evangelize the gospel and make disciples both of which should operate together and in unity in this season as we keep our mission in mind. Yeah. Amen. You know, the the theme of tonight and today's conversation really is, is understanding that we, even when we have questions, we're not subjected to fear. We don't have a spirit of fear, but that we have a Lord that we can go to and that he has told us these things so that we're confident in, in the times we live. We have every right. He's giving us the clues to what's happening and when we live so that we can be confident and productive That's in right. our lives. Amen. That's right. And and just to conclude in that, as you would read, and, and I believe it's it's First John. Um, where we were reading, if, if you continue on, it speaks about greater is the spirit that lives in you than the spirit that is in this world, right? These are these are foundational, but even elementary. These are the scriptures that we taught our children when they were afraid to to turn the lights out at night or to walk down the hallway when the lights were off. We taught them to recite in their heart and in their mind greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world there is nothing that i will face 
that isn't inferior to the spirit that lives in me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is living in, in me and dwells within us. So we can operate with that authority and confidence with whatever this world and its condition would, would come to. We don't have to live in fear. Yep. Amen. Well, listen, thank you for listening. And we want you to tune in next time. And we're going to continue in this chapter or this book on Revelation. And That's right. We, we kind of took a, a hint to what we'll speak to next week as we talked about in Thessalonians where it said um, in the flash of a night, right? Or like a thief in the night. And these are things that speak to um, the coming of Christ. And, and we'll talk about rapture, kind of the hot topic as well. And so we look forward to that. Have a blessed day, and we will see you soon.